You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. You just heard the news in the Sports Center update there. Derek Chauvin found guilty on all counts on intentional second degree murder, third degree murder, and second degree manslaughter. It's the first time in Minnesota state history that a white police officer has been held accountable for killing a black man. And in the lead up to the announcement, there were plenty of people sharing similar thoughts on social media. Uh, one, at Manny Fidel. Think about what it means that Derek Chauvin was caught murdering a human being in high-definition video and we're all sitting here nervous about what the verdict will be. All of that led up to an enormous sense of relief for many when the verdict came down. Sadness uh, that a man was left dead, that a young woman who was witness, who took the video, will have her life forever changed and Stays up at night wondering if she could have done something more. Same with the other witnesses. Uh, and a commitment to doing more and, and doing better. It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless and Fitz. I think we, we can agree that there is an enormous sense of relief that the reaction to this will be um, different than were the, were the jury to have found him innocent. Um, but we still have to wait on sentencing. And we still have to wait and see if any meaningful change actually happens because of this or if it was too difficult to deny what we saw with our own eyes even when a system is set up to protect um, police officers in cases like that i think sarah there is some level of meaningful change in context around that conversation because meaningful change to me also means meaningful change in attitude and approach and we've seen that across the sports landscape at least over the course of today is we've seen statements come out from leagues and teams and, and we don't always, and we'll get into some of that, Sarah, but we don't always see that. We haven't seen that in the past. So one thing that I think has changed is this is now a conversation that every league is putting themselves in the middle of as they try to figure out, you know, how to react and what it means and what it means moving forward. I, I look at someone like uh, the Buffalo Bills, for example, who came out as a team on Twitter, used social media to put out uh, their statement, uh, sort of expressing some of what you've mentioned, that there's so much more to do. And they say as part of it, our organizations are continuously learning how to be a productive part of the movement against racial injustices. We urge everyone to focus on love and equality to peacefully make change. To me, what we're seeing right now that definitely has been, we can't say, hey, there's landmark instance here of, of change, is change in tone and attitude when it comes to the conversation that leagues are willing to have about these injustices and how to create a better atmosphere for the players, for the community, and everybody involved. Um, we're seeing now reports that Columbus police just killed a 15-year-old girl during the reading of the verdict. She had called to report a disturbance and harassment and is now dead. She was shot in the chest multiple times. Obviously, that is a immediate uh, report that's coming out via the news. Uh, much more to come on that. But Fitz, I think that's why if you expected people to respond to this trial and this specific incident with anything more than relief that it wasn't yet another miscarriage of justice, then you were mistaken. Uh, there is just validation of what we all watched Right. So accountability for what happened, but not justice, because George Floyd didn't get any justice. George Floyd didn't get a trial for whatever they wanted to accuse him of doing or whatever they believed he was doing when they stopped him. He did not get due process. And so the jurors and I think Ryan Clark was very smart in saying the jurors did the right thing. Nothing special, nothing above and beyond. They held the officer accountable for what he did. We're just not used to seeing that. So it feels special when, in fact, it should be 
the way it always works when somebody is murdered by somebody who has sworn to protect and serve in a situation that never had to be escalated, that shouldn't have involved guns in the first place. Nate McMillan, the Hawks head coach, was on SportsCenter today and talked about it. Thought, uh, I feel that the jury did their jobs. You know, you got to hold uh, everybody accountable for their actions. And, uh, you know, the, the, the jury, the jury uh, found uh, him guilty on all three charges. Uh, and I thought they did their jobs. Uh, I mean, that's all everybody is asking for in this country is to uh, hold uh, everybody accountable for their actions. And um, I thought they made the right decision today. Fitz, it sounds so simple, but that's not the way it's always been. Holding people accountable for their actions, not letting qualified immunity get in the way, not getting... I mean, if you look at the initial statement from the police about George Floyd, I'm not going to read all of it, but this is the official statement the day of his death. On Monday evening, shortly after 8 p.m., officers from the Minneapolis Police Department responded to the 3700 block of Chicago Ave South on a report of a forgery in process. Officers were advised the suspect was sitting on top of a blue car and appeared to be under the influence. It goes on, and then it describes it as officers were able to get the suspect into handcuffs and noted he appeared to be suffering medical distress. Officers called for an ambulance. He was transported to Hennepin County Medical Center by ambulance where he died a short time later. At no time were weapons of any type used by anyone involved in this incident. No officers were injured in the incident. Body cameras were on and activated. The headline was man dies after medical incident during police interaction. And that's what would be remembered if we didn't have video. And that's probably what would have been told as the story of George Floyd's death. And there would be no accountability. The only reason there's accountability in this is because all of it was on camera. And there was no way to convince people that what they saw with their own eyes didn't happen. And that's the fear of everybody going forward is what does this actually mean? The sentencing could be a whole whole nother thing, too, Fitz, if the judge elects not to give him a, a meaningful sentence in accordance with the crime. Well, and that's one of the things that I think I spent sort of that moment, like so many people today, reacting and saying, OK, this makes sense. We're seeing something that makes sense. And then you think about what's next in the legal process. Well, that is sentencing and sentencing is a peculiar thing. I mean, it is. It doesn't always go the way that anyone expects it to. Ryan Smith, the ESPN legal analyst, was on Shanae and Golick Jr. earlier and talked about the sentence, sentencing process. If a judge looks at this and says, hey, I find aggravating factors here. I find this was so egregious. I need to go beyond the, the typical guidelines. You could see a greater sentence for Derek Chauvin. But if he sticks to the guidelines alone, it's likely that Derek Chauvin will not serve anywhere near that for decades in prison, but more likely maximum 10 to 15 years or somewhere around. That's a a stunning, you know, when you think about the the number of years that are stacked up, and that's, you know, unfortunately, because of my family history, I have some experience in all of this uh, because my brother did go to prison for an extended amount of time. Uh, There's a difference between I've been found guilty of these things and they're going to serve concurrently or they're going to serve consecutively. It's It's a very different thing. So just because there are three verdicts and each have a large number of years, 40 being the maximum on the, uh, the largest of the sentencing, doesn't mean that it's going to be anywhere near. Some some people are doing the math today and saying, well, it's going to equal 80 years. That's not really the way that's going to work at all. It is of note, though, as, as has been pointed out several times, that bail was revoked, uh, and that means that he immediately went to jail. He will not go home uh, to, to face the sentencing, to wait for sentencing, I should say. He immediately goes to jail where he will now await the sentencing hearing that comes next. 
I'm just sick reading about this Columbus story. I'm, I'm just sick, Fitz, and, it, and it's it's so awful to have this very brief moment of relief that the worst didn't happen in this case and to remember instantly and be reminded instantly how much more has to be done. Um, we're, we're, we're just in a position um, of massive change required, and we're, we'll get to some of the statements from some of the different leagues. The NHL woefully inadequate in their response to this, and you hold it up against leagues um, that know what they're doing and are, are speaking to the right people and making progressive statements, and, and you wonder uh, who's in charge over there making those statements. It's Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, Courtney Cronin, occasional Spain and Fitz, co-host, ESPN reporter for the Vikings, is set up in Minneapolis. She's going to tell us what the scene's like out there next, ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Back to Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And joining us now to give us a little bit of context of the scene out in Minneapolis, our ESPN Vikings reporter and Minneapolis native Courtney Cronin joins us now. Uh, Courtney, let's just start. Uh, Do you feel safe talking to us from where you are with what's going on around you? Yeah, I do. It's actually a very peaceful fight here. I'm literally standing in the middle of the intersection at 38th in Chicago and South Minneapolis. Uh, Kitty Corner from the Cup Foods where, you know, 11 months ago Derek Chauvin was had a knee on George Floyd's neck for nearly nine minutes, as we found out you know, not that long ago, uh, convicted on all three counts that he was charged for in the death of George Floyd. It's a really kind of quiet, peaceful scene. You just have people outside the, um, it's kind of became an autonomous zone. There's a, there's a, a roundabout in the middle of the intersection that has a, a fist and, and flowers and, and, and other uh, photos and memorabilia that have been laid in honor of George Floyd. And, Kind of everybody's just here gathered. I don't really know if there's anybody planning to speak at any point. Um, there, the, the trial was not broadcast over here, to my knowledge, speaking with people on the scene. It's just kind of a really quiet um, moment of reflection for a lot of people who have showed up here right outside of the Cup Foods. Courtney, given how much you know about the area and everything going on, what did you expect to be the reaction, and how does this compare to that? I mean, when when you when you heard all three counts uh, guilty for former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, I think that it was this collective sigh of relief. I mean, I just I believe it's Cool in the Gang, the celebration song. I heard somebody playing that as they were walking up 38th, Ave- or 38th Street, not that, you know, a couple moments ago. And, you know, a lot of horns honking and people yelling George Floyd's name. There was a man who passed me as I was walking south on Chicago Avenue, uh, had his fist out the window yelling George Floyd's name as he was honking on the horn. And, you know, I think this is this is the verdict that um, I think a lot of people were hoping for in this case because so many people saw that video for nearly a year now of George Floyd losing his life at the knee of, of Derek Chauvin that it would be a very different circumstance had those had the charge had been reversed or if there was a mistrial or anything like that. But you know, I think people are pretty happy with the outcome of, of what happened in the legal proceedings. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Courtney Cronin, who covers the Vikings for ESPN, also a Minneapolis native who is outside the area where George Floyd was murdered shortly after the murder trial of Derek Chauvin has come to an end. Uh, guilty on all counts. Sentencing will come in eight weeks, I believe. It, uh, the judge will be mm-hmm. uh, making the decision on the sentencing. You know, you mentioned that video. Darnella Frazier, the teenager who recorded the video, testified during the trial and talked about staying up nights, apologizing to George Floyd for not doing more, for not physically interacting 
and jumping in and trying to save his life. That's another victim of this murder um, are the people who were there, the people who, who watched and the woman who filmed. I wonder, as you've been sort of living in that area for the for however many months it's been, 11 months, if it's felt like it brought anybody together in service of hoping for this uh, judgment of justice or does it feel more disconnected than ever because of the continued acts of police violence in the area because of what I believe you called the autonomous zone here? Yeah. Um, basically, to, to explain what that is, the, the blocks all the way down to 39th Street, basically from 37th to 39th Street. And from, I believe it was, um, you know, a block to the to the west here of Chicago Avenue. Um, it was It's been blocked off now for really um, since the entire time of the, of the legal proceeding, the trial, and, and really since last May, it's kind of become this area where I don't know if you'll remember the, the Chaz, the Chop, whatever it was called in Portland last year. Yeah. Very similar here where they do not want the police presence. Uh, for a while, they were not really thrilled with having media presence in here following last May and those events. And it's been a, kind of a community policing effort. So, you and I have talked about this on the show. This is typically like my running path. I'll come kind of run through this area and they have people kind of guarding the areas. There's these little like um, man-made uh, kind of shacks that, you know, just a little warming hut. Uh, you know, there's probably no heat in there that people have been taking turns and shifts as part of this community policing effort to keep this area safe, to keep this ground sacred. So I don't know what they're going to do now in the, in the aftermath of the, of the verdict and everything else, but it does feel like a very united front here. I know, you know, with, with everything that happened last week with the killing of Dante Wright in Brooklyn Center by a Brooklyn Center police officer and, and what you've seen, kind of the unrest in, in, in the streets and, and that stuff was still going on as of last weekend with protests and people, uh, even in, in our Congress, encouraging people to stay in the streets and continue to fight for justice. Here, it's very much a... Um, you know, kind of a, not somber, but it's, you know, there's there's a little bit of celebration, kind of like a big sigh of relief in the air that justice had been served in the name of George Floyd. Like, I remember coming here the day of his funeral that they held down at North Central University uh, in kind of downtown Minneapolis, right near U.S. Bank Stadium, and it was a weird block party type feel. Um, obviously, it was a very somber event, and there were flowers everywhere outside of Cup Foods, but that was such a... I had never seen my Minneapolis community like that, where you had people barbecuing and handing out free food and water bottles to people coming here to pay their respects. And uh, to see it now brings me back to where we were. That was like early last June, um, the day of the funeral. It very much feels the same here. And you're seeing a lot more people uh, descend upon the scene to pay their respects and, and just kind of sit here in a moment of silence. Uh, you know, this city has been through a hell of a lot the last 11 months and, and kind of feel a collective sigh of relief from everyone that um, the justice process, uh, you know, it, it, it did its job. That being said, Courtney, there's obviously got to be next steps. Do you have any indication on what the community is intending to do at this point to try and help bring everybody together now that we have a verdict? You know, I have, I'm honestly kind of surprised that we haven't had a curfew uh, tonight, Fitz, because it's been you know, the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, anytime something's happened, especially last week with Dante Wright, we were under curfew in Minneapolis, even though that shooting happened, you know, 10 miles from where I'm standing at the very moment. Minneapolis, uh, well, the entire Hennepin County was under, under curfew. But 
I don't know if we'll have one tonight. I don't know. I think as far as like what what we're going to see in the next coming days, it's going to be a lot more of this, a lot more of um, people coming to pay their respects here at 38th in Chicago. Um, as far as like citywide, though, I mean, if you go downtown, I was uh, gone for the weekend for my grandmother's 100th birthday on Sunday, and I came back on Monday and just kind of driving around downtown uh, through uptown where I, I used to live. I now live in the Lindale area. Like there were national guardsmen in, in their um, trucks everywhere at every stop. You could see them. I mean, you saw, you know, I live not too far from the fifth police precinct, which was at 31st and Nicolette Avenue. Um, that was all boarded or, you know, blocked off. You couldn't get within like a block or two radius of that. A lot of barricades, barbed wire. I think the city, because of what happened last May, um, and obviously the burning of the police precinct um, over in Midtown, they've had a very, they've taken a very proactive approach to make sure that the city can remain safe as people now are peacefully, you know, gathering and paying homage to, to the legacy of George Floyd here in Minneapolis. Courtney, we appreciate the time. We appreciate you giving your thoughts and, and setting the scene for us. Thank you. Yeah, of course. No problem. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Really appreciate Courtney, a, a great voice of someone who who lives right in that area and has been, um, you know, a, a, a viewer of all of the unrest in Minneapolis since George Floyd's murder. And, of course, now everything that has played out since. And, Fitz, I, I just want to say again, you know, this isn't over because of the guilty verdicts. It is, of course, the right decision. But now we await the sentencing. And I do fear for any decision that might be made to lessen the effects and, and the sentencing um, after this decision has been made. Yeah, I mean, that's what all eyes will now shift to what's next. And the sentencing issue is something that everybody's going to have to gain as much understanding as possible because, Again, we see these big numbers come out. I think people are going to have big expectations. What I don't want is people to get you know, upset uh, if it doesn't come out the way it, right. that most of us think it should. Well, and worth noting that some of the numbers that people are throwing out, I believe, are based on the longest sentence possible for those particular crimes, not taking into account whether you're a first-time offender. So keep that in mind as you're reading things. Sports Illustrated's Tom Verducci joins us next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. There are certain articles that you see and immediately you deep dive into it and you realize that you're reading something really interesting that makes you think. And uh, that happened to, to me today as we uh, we were sent a great article uh, called Baseball's Mental Health Reckoning. It's on Sports Illustrated right now, and it was written by Tom Verducci, who joins us on the Goodyear Hotline. John, Tom, thanks so much for joining us. I, I thought this was really interesting uh, as you take a deep dive into some of the mental health issues that are facing Major League Baseball. Through all of this process, have you figured out if there's anything particular this year that's leading to players to step away from the game because of mental health? Well, thanks for having me, first of all. I think it's an accumulation. I don't think there's one special event or reason when we're talking about 2021. I think it's really like the rest of us, uh, anybody paying attention to everything that's got on the last year and a half. It's been, it's been difficult. There's a lot of stressors out there, and because of the COVID-19 protocols, there are fewer releases and, and valves for people to kind of release the stress. And I think especially if you're a professional athlete, the ability to perform at a high level is always there. And one thing that I've noticed, guys, is baseball has changed in this regard. 
there's more instability in job security than ever before. As the game has become younger, teams tend to prefer players who have options. They go back and forth to the minor leagues. So we're looking at a game with a tremendous churn rate. I mean, there's guys who pitch well, say, for two innings and get returned to the minor leagues just because they won't be available to pitch for the next couple of days, not for lack of a performance. And there's always the injury factor that, that hangs over every player, especially pitchers. So I think really it's the stressors of the last year and a half. And again, because of COVID protocols and being in bubbles and, and not being able to just, you know, go out with buddies after a game to have dinner or something. I think this has just added up to for a lot of players that um, it's been a very stressful year and a half. And again, this goes for everybody. This is certainly not unique to baseball, but I think it's a reminder that baseball players are like everybody, right? They're human too. Tom Verducci with us here on Spain and Fitz. Yeah, we often talk about this when it comes to mental health and sports in general or trolling or death threats, right? People want to scoff at the idea that these very well-paid men who play a game, quote-unquote, for a living would feel the same emotions that all other humans do when they're criticized or attacked or uh, under stress. And in the case of the last year plus, um, I've been talking about this a lot lately, myself included. There's an incredible burnout even for things that used to bring us great joy and satisfaction. And in baseball, you add on that it's unlike other jobs. You point out in the article that a player with mental health issues instead of physical body issues won't get service time, won't get pay. So unlike a company that might react to your need to step away by not punishing you in baseball, it is almost a punishment to offer up that you need to step away or that you might need to take some time, right? That's a great point, and I think that could also lead to some hesitancy for players to come out and acknowledge that they're dealing with something. Uh, First of all, it's a difficult step for a lot of players to take anyway. I think that hopefully and thankfully, I think it has changed over the years where, you know, when teams had therapists or mental skills coaches, and I'm going back probably a generation now, 15, 20 years, it was something of a sign of weakness to admit, hey, I need some help, even though, you know, Hitter, hitters wouldn't hesitate to go see the hitting coach and pitchers go see the pitching coach. It's the same thing with a mental skills coach. So I think baseball and other sports have made tremendous strides in terms of players being open to improving their mental skills, which is different, I, I get it, from mental health. But I think it all falls under the umbrella now that people, I think, are more willing to seek out help. But you're right in the fact that if you know, you're talking about giving up service time, which is a big deal in Major League Baseball, it really does set the tone for your salary structure – And the salary itself that you won't be paid if the reason why you can't play is a mental illness rather than a physical illness. Uh, I do think that's that's something that does need to be addressed. And I understand that, you know, there's probably some hesitancy among clubs to say, hey, anybody can just take a, you know, somebody wants a week's vacation in the middle of summer to go with their family. They can just say they need a mental break. Uh, But I do think there certainly should be enough protocols in place and, uh, clubs now have many of them have their own therapists as well that players can reach out to that this certainly can be verified that, hey, this person needs help. And instead of just kind of pushing this person off to the side as a non-person who's not being paid, let's make sure we take care of them uh, when it comes to the, the compensation and let them know that they are valued as much as if they had an arm injury. We're talking to Tom Verducci of Sports Illustrated. Uh, got a great article out there on mental health. Uh, and how it's impacting Major League Baseball this year. And I think it's interesting, Tom, that you just mentioned 
you know, service time and, and all of these factors that players are dealing with, there's also the constant pressure to live up to your contract or make sure that you're reaching the incentives you can reach. And, you know, it's such a dog-eat-dog world. How comfortable are players actually coming out and showing any weakness, especially in a mental health world, that may impact the way a club perceives them? Yeah, I think that is a very good question. The players obviously can speak to that better than me, but I do I do pick up vibes from the players that that pressure is – which has always been there. It's really nothing new, the pressure to perform. But I, I think it's even greater now, again, because of the churn rate in Major League Baseball, I think especially when it comes to pitching. Uh, you know, Ryan Sheriff of the Tampa Bay Rays, who shared his story with me, first of all, I really congratulate him for, you know, being someone who is willing to share his story publicly and does want to be an advocate for others who are suffering through some mental issues so I applaud him for that. And, you know, he's 30 years old. He's still making essentially minimum salary in Major League Baseball. He's a 28th-round draft pick, spent nine years in the minor league, spent most off-seasons living at home with his mother. Uh, he's not rich the way people look at baseball players and just associate them as multimillionaires. So every time he goes out there on the mound to pitch, he literally has to prove himself no matter what he did the previous outing, the previous season. It's a, you know, almost a pitch by pitch world that they live in. And when they do have success, well, now they have to keep it going. That doesn't guarantee them that they, unless you're a superstar in the game, that your place is solid in the game. So again, there's a cumulative effect to that. And especially if anybody's, you know, had an injury that put him out for a year and a half is what happens with Tommy John surgery. That is a grind. That is a, a essentially its own isolation because you're away from the team. You can't take part in baseball activities for a long time. That is hard work. People will tell you anybody who comes back from Tommy John surgery, that's sort of like its own version of quarantine. And then you throw the COVID on top of that with the COVID uh, with the quarantine protocols and the ability to go out there and make sure you have to keep proving yourself again and again. Those are a lot of stresses. And again, I'll get back to the point that this is we're not living in normal days where you can have the, the release valves that you normally have. And sometimes it meant being away from families. I mean, last year, I was in the postseason bubble for a month, and I found it confining. It was necessary. I thought it was well run. But when you don't have the ability just to walk outside the hotel door to walk down the street to Starbucks to get a coffee or to go anywhere, go to the hotel gym, you can't do any of those things day after day after day for a month. It's not a complaint. It's just a reality that this is what the players have been going through for last season and pretty much this season as well. Sports Illustrated senior writer Tom Verducci with us here on Spain and Fitz. You can find his story on SI.com. You're right about all that. And I think that we all respect the extremes of the pandemic that involve death, that involve the inability to attend funerals or canceling weddings, right? Those very much extreme events that we all can empathize with. But we're now, after a year, starting to really understand the everyday effects of not being able to balance all of the stresses and and events we have in our life with the usual exchange of energy with other people or social events or vacations or moments where you stop thinking about this stressor that's been on top of mind for so long. And so it's not surprising that this happens. I was glad to see in your story that Ryan Sheriff who you talked about, um, did make his way back to the game at the end. Now, not because I want him to ignore what he's feeling, but because I do think right now people have to really understand what whether what they're feeling is a long-time future feeling or just in this moment. And as things start to go back to normal, will they feel the same joy they had in playing? Will he get the urge and the adrenaline being back on the mound and I wonder if the agents and players that you talked with all seem to be keeping that door open, uh, especially if they were 
young enough in their career to be able to return if physically able. Well, I think you make a lot of good points there. And I think it's, as it relates to Ryan, I think what he's got on his side to sort of get this spark back and just love of the game to, to get out there on the mound again uh, is to share his story and to be an advocate. He was more excited with me about that opportunity in terms of helping others than actually getting out there and pitching again. So I think those connections are super important. He's, he'll tell you he's a very extroverted guy anyway. So I think part of the, the, the protocols and the quarantines have, have really hit someone like him more than someone else. But you make a very good point. To be human is to connect to other people. And as much as you know, we're lucky in some ways that we have this world of technology where we can Zoom and we have social media and we can connect with people virtually – there is nothing that can take the place of true human connection, of being with family and friends, face-to-face conversations, reading the eyes, the souls of a person as they sit across from you. I think that's what a lot of us have lacked in this last year and a half. And again, ball players are no different. So I think Ryan is excited about being back to help others, whether he can help them virtually or even in person. I think he's he's anxious to get back into, you know, connecting with other human beings. And I, I think there's a lot of people who've been suffering in that regard. There's no question about that. Uh, and again, like I said, Ryan loves being around people. Uh, he's a guy who he says one of his favorite routines on the road pre-pandemic was to go to a coffee house, a cafe, have a cup of coffee, just sit, watch people walk by soak up the atmosphere, talk to complete strangers. Well, all that went away. You just mm-hmm. can't do that in Major League Baseball right now. You're pretty much limited in your hotel room. So I, I think, again, I'll get back to the point I really want to make here is that the human connection is so important. It was missing for Ryan like a lot of people. And I think his way of speaking openly about his mental, Ill- mental illness challenges here, I, I think, is a way back for him to, first of all, address it head on himself and then share his recovery with other people to help other people and be an advocate. And I think that's why, to me, I think it's very encouraging to hear him where he is right now, you know, regardless of how he does as a pitcher. Tom, we appreciate your time. Your insight. Great article, my friend. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Tom. Sports Illustrated senior writer Tom Verducci. Be sure to check out the article out there on sportsillustrated.com right now. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive's Home Insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. We got new contracts. We got injury setbacks. We got records being set. And we've got catfishing. It's time for quickies. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast if you've missed any of it or if you just want to listen to the show again. You can do that at the podcast. Uh, wherever you get your podcast, Spain and Fitz podcast are there for you. Uh, we like to have a little bit of fun when there's a bunch of stories to get through and a bunch of things that we want to make sure that you're caught up on. We do it the way only Spain and Fitz can with some quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. There is nothing subtle about the way we do things. Let's start uh, with a little bit of football news here, and it comes in the form of a contract extension. One of the most underappreciated coaches in the NFL, Mike Tomlin, has been given a three-year contract extension. Remember when Steelers fans were convinced that he wasn't winning enough games because he didn't have Super Bowls and the Patriots did? Well, then they realized that it was maybe a blank show behind the scenes, and uh, he managed to keep it all together. So now everybody loves him. He gets a three-year contract extension. But, Sarah, this seems like a really smart, good move by the the Steelers to give themselves uh, more stability. He now runs through the 2024 season. 15th year with Pittsburgh. He is the third Steelers head coach 
since 1969. What's that like? Like That's having stability? unbelievable. <laughs> Just an unbelievable run. And the truth is he's had incredible success and that requires good players and good drafting and everything else. But it also is maybe a reminder to some places that switching every other year and wiping clean the slate and having to hire all new coaches and do everything all over again isn't always the answer either. Um, you need all of the pieces to work together. And unfortunately, I think uh, some teams are just are just too quick to move on. A three-year extension also means that they're they're giving him the security he needs to know that no matter what Big Ben does this year, that he's going to be just fine and they'll continue to move forward. All of that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think it's a great move for the Steelers. Next up on the quickies, uh, we've got a little bit of NBA breaking news tonight. Harden, James Harden with Brooklyn. Remember, he had a, sub, a strained hamstring, and that was back on March 31st. Missed two games and returned on April 5th aggravated the injury he's been out since they originally thought it was seven to ten days now apparently he's had a setback and they've said he is out indefinitely sir indefinitely no james harden this is uh going to present the situation that um i i think we all maybe imagined if the nets were going to have to figure out how to go without their big three all the time that we maybe it was going to be based on choice right Kyrie stepping away or Issues with them all getting along or issues with sharing the ball. And it's instead been injuries throughout. Now, Kyrie's missed a couple by choice, but it's been Durant. It's been Harden. They've only played seven games with all three of those guys on the court. And as much as I thought you were a hot take artist for saying the Nets aren't going to do jack in the postseason while I was gone, when you knew I wasn't around to talk you off the ledge, Mm -hmm. I'm starting to doubt When you get into a postseason series with coaches that are scheming specifically for you, particularly a team that's already woefully deficient defensively, adding it all together. Remember, I used to I used to say, you know, the Clippers are in a great position last season because they've had so many different lineups that this covid stuff in the bubble is going to affect them differently. They're going to be more ready for it than other teams who might have guys opt out or not be available, yada, yada. It didn't work out. And in the end, I think teams need to be together and play together no matter the talent. And this is not going to help. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, we've given a bunch of different stats that support the need for guys to get on the court. Uh, but I'll give credit to the Stats and Info Group with another great one. Uh, no NBA champion has ever had all three of their leaning, leading scores miss double-digit regular season games. And at this point, hmm. Harden, Kyrie, and Durant now will all be in double digits. Harden already at 10, uh, Durant 33, Kyrie at 16. So just another little indication uh, with continuity being an issue for them moving forward. Makes me feel better about my hot take. You know, I might get saved here. I mean, sometimes it's better Still to be Still work on the good. reading, though. Well, one step at a time. You know, <laughs> hot takery important, reading not so much. That's why they don't let me put on a tie and host Sports Center. There's That's a right. reason. Number of reasons. In the magic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. So next up on quickies, uh, we've got a little bit of NH. Oh, yeah. You've got the little drop. I'm sorry. Sexy voice guy, want to say quickies? Nice. Look at that. It sounds so much better than I do when he says it, too. Uh, we had a record set in the NHL. San Jose Sharks forward Patrick Marlowe set a new record for all times games played, which is. Remarkable, playing in his 1,768th game mm. of his career. Like, 1,768 hockey games. Like, that is just, <laughs> yeah. that's, a, that's a lot of just getting your teeth kicked in. I, I was going to say, this. yeah, it's not even basketball or tennis or um, baseball, right? I mean, hockey's basically football on ice, the, the toll on your body. And to play that many games, to play at 41 to take out Gordy Howe's record is really impressive. I saw a good story from Wyshynski 
on ESPN.com that there are actually six records that could go down in the next couple seasons, pretty big ones. Gretzky's career goals record, um, most games coached by Scotty Bowman, Yager's career game-winning goals, Doug Jarvis's consecutive games played, 964, by the way. That's, a, that's another unbelievable streak mm. to go that many games without missing. Uh, Selkie Trophy winners for Ganey and Bergeron and power play goals of Dave Andrichuk. So bunch of hockey uh, records that could be surpassed. Uh, one that I know will not be is Gretzky's scoring because he would still be the points leader in the NHL without any goals scored. What? <laughs> Which is not real life. I mean, that's remarkable. And by the way, the fact that we say he's playing at 41 and then I realize that I'm older than he is. Like, that's the spot we're at now. Mm, like, I had it happen hurt. in L.A. where somebody that I've worked with a bunch was like, you know, how old are you? And I said, and he was like, you know, you look really good for your age. I was like, we've reached the four-year-age portion of my life. And that's, you know, it's, it's hits home when I want to tell him that. When, you, gotta, he's when you have to hit that next bracket when they're like uh, age and you're like, oh, no, 41 oh to like – just dead, I think, is the other half of that bracket. I don't yeah. think they even cap it. Oh, yeah, that that uh, that <laughs> you're that nearing the age hurts. where sponsors don't care about you anymore. Oh. I've always been a woman, so they've never acknowledged me. But eighteen to forty-five men, you're, you're getting there. Wow. Well, no, no worries <laughs> because that ties perfectly into our next quickies. You want sexy voice? There, there we go. I'll just catfish people. Apparently, that's what's <laughs> happening right now. A Lakers podcast host uh, is at the center of catfish allegations. This is a crazy story. She went missing on Sunday, so uh, there were all these tweets and people were coming out in support, Sarah. And it looks like there's this a very strange situation where. This is not anybody that we thought they were. I don't think were. she exists. Yeah. yeah. They're starting to notice all of her photos are photoshopped. You can go back and find the original photo that she put her head on. Um, people are wondering when they slow down the podcast, if it's perhaps an Australian man, uh, then m- moving the volume and, and the, the pitch up to make it sound like a woman podcast host. We're getting to the bottom of it. Well, you know what? You just got to be like me and most of the time sound like a small child or a female when you speak. All right. Coming up next, we've got a versus battle for the ages and it's 420. So there's a lot of fun coming up next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Today, my friend, I don't don't think anyone's listening today for a number of reasons. People need to relax a little bit. Maybe... A little bit of subdued celebration, or at very least relief, for what came down in the Derek Chauvin trial. And adding on to everything that's going on today, of course, on 420, is that we're getting a versus battle. Method man, red man. Literally, how high? I want to say that even my financial advisor today sent an email that said, how high? And it was like, you know, can whatever... Go like right. It was it was financial, but I was like, you did that on purpose, didn't you? <laughs> you did that on purpose. Everyone's in on it today, and this versus battle uh, is starting right now. And I can assure you, plenty of people are tuned in and vibed in. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel eighty. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. It is four twenty, and in certain places like Chicago, people can legally enjoy today. In other places, there are still restrictions on the use of cannabis. And it's interesting as we're talking about the justice system fits and uh, everything going on with George Floyd and what needs to change. There's massive change that needs to happen in cannabis and weed as well. Uh, I saw some social media posts today. 81% of cannabis business owners are white. Only 4.3% are black. 
black people are 264% more likely than white people to be arrested for cannabis possession, even though they use at similar rates. And even where it's legal, black people are arrested more often than white people for possession. We've been talking about this for a long time, especially since the legalization of weed, that now the people that are monetizing it and making a profit off it look very different than the people who were unjustly imprisoned for it. And if there are any places right now sending out cute little 420 posts while also testing employees for weed or otherwise punishing, uh, it's not a good look, Fitz. It's, and it's yeah. hard to reconcile now with rules being different across the country. This is one of the more uh, interesting days for me because, you know, I, I look realistically to the point that you're making. Connecticut, uh, where ESPN is located, is a state that is uh, paving the way at this point to legislation that will, uh, they believe, sooner than later have uh, marijuana legalized in the state. But one of the things that is an actual a, a heated battle is who's going to be able to sell and how dispensaries will be done mm-hmm. and, and what attempt will be made for diversification of that to make sure that it's not just – to your point, the same group of people that are selling in so many other places. But and do the, you vacate sentences? That's another huge part as all of these states take this on. Do you then take all the people currently imprisoned for previous marijuana convictions and vacate those sentences? Right. And, and you know, again, my, my brother, part of, a big portion of what he served for in Nevada was for uh, marijuana possession. And he had, uh, obviously, a, a large amount of it. There's no sidestepping that. But... At this point, you know, that's legal in Nevada so or in Las Vegas. So it, it's really interesting to see that, that cross-section every year. And it, it, there's no easy answer. Even in sports, there's no easy answer to some of this because we have not come to one consistent uh, thought process as a country on how to handle it and what should be legal and what shouldn't be legal. And that's always so difficult because I'll go back to my time touring. You know, uh, you, you might be in a state where it was legal, but that didn't mean that I had the right to use it because, for example, the Ban Perry had a no uh, no drug policy at the time. So, you know, uh, it's not that even if I was in a state where it was illegal, what where it was legal, I still couldn't use it. It's no different in sports as we look across the landscape and we say, hey, opioids are terrible. We should just allow marijuana to be used. Well, we're asking leagues to be more progressive than the country is at times. Right. And so we've sort of got to get well, our butts in gear to figure out what though. we're going to be. I, there's a difference between I don't think we're asking to be more progressive. I think we're offering up the opportunity not to test and not to punish for it, which is different. We're not asking them to legalize it or to allow for it without care, but there are plenty of other leagues outside the NFL that simply don't test for marijuana, regardless of the state you're in. And I think that is without having to make a larger statement about whether or not the state that you play in should legalize it. You do what I'm sure the other leagues do, which is to say, if you are in a state where it is not legal, you have to do it covertly. You can't make it clear. You can't make it obvious. If you get caught for it, it will be illegal. But we as a league will not be in the business of punishing you for it. And you look at a lot of the stories from former NFL players, NBA players, specifically speaking about pain management, especially those who suffer from issues like Crohn's disease, where they legitimately cannot take painkillers because of the effects it will have on their body. And the lack of flexibility on that, I think, is massive is massive to not understand the ways it can be used instead of being demonized as simply, you know, something that people sit around and lazily do on their couch. There's a great story about Al Harrington and cannabis out right now, and he talks about his grandmother who never drank alcohol, never broke the law, never did anything outside of what she expected to be, you know, good God-fearing behavior, 
and revealed to him her incredible pain and that the drugs she was being given were not helping, decided to try it. And it helped her just even be able to see and read correctly because of the things that it did to help with her pain management and the effects on her eyes and everything else. Um, And you read stories like that and you just wonder um, why we aren't having those conversations instead of the ones that sound decades old. Yeah, a, a thousand percent. And by the way, the NFL did with their new collective bargaining agreement yeah. change their policy. It is worth noting there are still testing thresholds, but instead of being a four month threshold, it's two weeks at the start of t- training camp. They changed the threshold of THC that's allowed in your body. And and look, I I can speak to that as somebody that that uh, you know has had so many manic and bipolar issues in my family and uh, has anxiety issues. Uh, when you combine all those things together. The number of times I've had doctors and therapists say, hey, like you should consider this as a track. Like I I believe uh, for me personally, I've seen the effects that it can have. So I'm I'm a thousand percent in on it. I just think that 420 is a great moment for all of us instead of sort of laughing about it at times or saying, why isn't this league doing that or why isn't this league doing this? We should really, in my mind, be looking at it and saying, at what point are we going to find that this is not what people thought it was and decide that as a nation, as a whole, we're going to standardize it in a way that the D, you know, not just decriminalize, decriminalize, however you say that. Yeah, not just that. Close. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> but on the other hand, also takes away some of the complex that comes with it for people that are using it for great reasons, because it, it is alarming to stand in a line in, in Massachusetts and see people that are embarrassed to be there when they're there for all the right reasons. Yeah, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. It is 420. It is Red Man versus Method Man versus. I'm hyped for this one, Fitz. I don't know how many of these you've watched, but I think the best ones are straight rap because you can rap over a track and you can sound like you're doing a performance. A lot of rap performances and hip hop concerts are, you know, a lot of remixes, a lot of covers, a lot of pulling stuff from different places. And when they do the ones with singers, I I will say, you know, the last one was was still pretty moving. People got into it. But a lot of times they're just telling stories or they're singing over their own voice, but not quite hitting the beat right because they're a little old. I think like the, the, you know, DMX Snoop, like those ones were the best. So I have very high hopes for this one. Yeah, me too. And I'm with you a thousand percent. Like, I don't know why. It's pretty easy in the music business to do what they call a minus vocal, where you just take it. It's like a karaoke track. You yeah. take the track, you sing over it. Why, why we haven't seen all the singers doing that other than not wanting to? I'm all in for any of the hip-hop battles in general that we get. It just seems like it hits a little bit harder, and everybody's going at each other, even with love and respect, a little bit more, uh, with a little bit more yeah. edge. There's just yeah. a little more competitiveness. Well, and it's especially in. fun when it's these guys that have been collaborators for so long, yeah. right? Um, I think it was the L.A. Times that, that put it perfectly. It's a joint performance. Uh, <laughs> who will get smoked? Who will weed out the competition? Right. I mean, it's uh, there's so many places to go. And I will say that their their promos for it had both guys in the gym flexing. So there will be no winded rappers out there. They both look like they are ready to bring it. Um, unless they're winded for you know lung related reasons, <laughs> or if it's like you know the end of the last one where they both kind of just got so high. Who was that? Was it Ghostface? I'm trying to think of the one where they both just got so high by the end that it was like, and eh, we're going to wrap up now. We can't, we can't keep it together. Uh, the verses, uh, there's, I'm not sure who the, is that DJ Nice? I think, I'm not sure who's DJing to set this one up, but um, Red Man and Meth Man should be coming out soon. Happy 420, everybody. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance with insurance for cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and commercial vehicles at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and progressive.com. 
However you're relaxing, stick with us for a couple more segments. We got to talk about a grand opening, grand closing next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Let this one breathe for a second. It's coming, Fitz. This is one of my faves. By the way, I tried to get Ghostface Killer on the show tonight. He did not respond to me, unfortunately. Wow. I think he's busy. Big day. Big day. Is it? It is. Yeah, that's fair. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Man, it's going to be hard to focus on the show instead of versus. I'm not going to lie to you. They, they start busting out gravel pit. I'm going to be out of here. I'm going to let you handle this on your own. Uh, we spent some time yesterday talking to Grant Wall about the Super League of Soccer. And, and here's the latest. Grand opening, grand closing. Yeah, it's over, uh, I guess. Uh, 48 hours is all it took for literally everyone to condemn the idea. Players, fans, sponsors, politicians, the future king of England, uh, John, you know, uh, James Corden. Uh, I mean, the rants were plenty. There were actual protests, which, by the way, I love sports a lot, but I would love to interview every single person who protested the potential Super League and ask if they've ever protested any social injustice of any kind. I'm just just out of curiosity, would love to know if any of them thought there are any societal ills that would ever inspire them to get out into the street as much as a potential social league, that's a conversation for another time. But Fitz, it's apparently over already. And the interesting angle here that we didn't even talk about yesterday is the idea that some of the owners of these teams, Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester United, Stan Kroenke, John Henry, the Glazer family, are NFL owners who potentially tried to bring the super greed of American sports to a totally different space of soccer that views itself, no matter how much money they make, as very different than the NFL or any professional sports league in the U.S. views itself. And that's part of this. And people are going to use America as what Mike Ryan described as a meat shield for criticizing this move and saying it's all about American greed. But this is just a stopgap for what I think will eventually be a further conversation about something like this if it's not exactly like this because of the response or maybe they just think they need a longer runway to get it in people's hands before they can try to pull it off but this isn't going away because it failed this quickly this time yeah i agree with you sarah but i also think that there's a moment where not to oversimplify but we all know the the expression pride's the downfall of man and I think you you look at some of this here, and it feels like pride really got in the way for a lot of people. Smart people do dumb things, and you know, obviously, you don't get to the point where you own uh, any of these teams, and you're a dumb individual. Like that, just that's hard for me to compute because you've had to add a lot of success to get to this point. To what I'll never understand about this is if you knew that you were going to be doing something this controversial, and you knew you were going to be doing something that would get the entire country this fired up. How did you not have sort of a plan in place that was ready for the blowback? Because what I see here are a bunch of owners and players that, that sort of felt like, okay, we can make this happen. And then the minute the blowback happens, they're like, no, 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 we're good. We're, we're, we're fine. We're just sort of testing the waters. You don't get to test these Psych. waters and you don't get to walk, <laughs> walk Yeah. And you don't get to walk this one back that easy. Like for me, I, what we saw here was that a group of, of very smart people were ill prepared for the blowback. And that is dumb. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's stunning that they wouldn't expect this, especially mid-season. And if I remember correctly, it's like three of the four teams that are in the Champions League final, you know, 
stretch of playoffs would have left and been then eliminated based on the threats that were being sent from the Champions League will eliminate you from this participation now, from World Cup participation, et cetera. And it just would have been like handed over to, I think it was Juventus that would have just been like, well, I guess you win. Or no, Paris Saint-Germain would have been like, you, you guys just win because you're the only one left. Like it was not well thought out timing wise. The meetings that they had just had between UEFA and the Champions League, everything else, like everything I've read about it sounds like potentially they thought it was just let us throw this out there to show how, how displeased we are and and see, you know, if we can get more of what we want. And instead it just backfired tremendously. Um, and it backfires, by the way. Globally. <laughs> yeah, it, it backfires in a way that doesn't just go away. Like no. if we woke up tomorrow to the announcement that, let's say, the Patriots, Packers, uh, Steelers, and Cowboys have decided they're going to be their own football league. Imagine how upset NFL fans right. would be through that process. You don't just walk that back. Like, not uh, th- There's not going to be any forgiveness right now from an entire region of the world that feels like th- these teams tried to abandon them through this process. Like, I, 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 the, the blowback's going to be severe for this and last a long time. It's created some real... Uh, you know, hurt in this process to the fans and some hate from the fans that are trying to figure out how to deal with all of it. I, I, I'm going to be interested to see in a year how much this is still a conversation because for everybody that's upset by the even the attempt, it's not going to go away. Absolutely. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, and a lot of people taking great joy today in watching them all have to slink back and act like they were, oh, there's just a thing we threw out there. It was uh, just a lot of people enjoying what the collective soccer community did in response and the effect that it had. Uh, that's big news today. A lot of people posting and getting their memes out, um, getting their jokes off about the Super League ending. Um, but in the meantime, a much more serious story that kind of dominated the headlines once it became clear mid-afternoon uh, that there was going to be a verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial and a lot of statements coming out from athletes, a lot of coaches and players very thoughtful about this, a lot of teams very thoughtful. You look at the statements from, for instance, uh, the WNBA, a league known for its progressive views, a league known to be on the forefront of understanding and diving deeply into these issues. And uh, here's a little bit of what the commissioner, Kathy Engelbert, released. This past year, we've witnessed traumatizing instances of police brutality that black Americans disproportionately experience with the murder of George Floyd at the forefront of the conversation. While this verdict represents a step toward justice, we're reminded that justice is too often not the outcome for people of color. The WNBA, WNBPA Social Justice Council will continue its work to combat injustice and inequality in our country and hope this represents a true turning point for how the effects of systemic racism begin to be addressed. We stand with all those who have felt the deep impact of George Floyd's death. Now compare that to, for instance, the official statement of the NHL. We have not yet been told if they ran out of ink. Here's what it said. (laughs) While we hope the end of the trial offers a chance for healing, we remain committed to actively engaging in the movement for equality, and we invite our fans to join us in supporting systemic change. It does not mention racism. It does not mention George Floyd. It does not mention murder. It does not mention guilty. It doesn't say anything. It says nothing. It is a massive swing and a miss. And the idea of addressing what happened today as simply the end of the trial, to me, Fitz, proves that all the stories and conversations about hockey needing to do a whole lot more to figure itself out are very true. Yeah, and that's sort of the tone-deaf moment that is hard for me to understand or accept in this situation because 
Everybody knew that something was going to come. Now, if I ran a leak, uh, the first thing I would be doing in these instances is preparing a statement for either or either side of it, talking to people, making sure that no matter what decision comes out, I'm prepared to make sure that when my fans look at my league, I can say something that they'll be proud of in that instance. So to be that unprepared for the NHL to me is really shocking. And it shows a lack of uh, forward thinking in this process. And it also shows me that they're tone deaf. And that's not the way you want to feel on this day today, particularly uh, for the NHL and for, for hockey fans. Like This is a right. disappointing moment for hockey fans. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We see across the other leagues differing statements. Minnesota Vikings, a long and thoughtful statement. And the Raiders simply put up a pinned tweet that says, I can breathe for 2021. Um, unfortunately, and I don't think this was their intent, that has been used and worn by people supporting police and mocking victims like Eric Garner. Um, I have to imagine they didn't think of that through and they thought it was a clever way to express relief. Uh, coming up on Spain and Fitz, we'll uh, we'll uh, talk about some other stuff today. Next. <laughs> Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. You just heard the news in the Sports Center update as we got verdicts in the trial related to the death of George Floyd, uh, guilty on all counts. And we've been breaking some of that down, plus everything else you need to know throughout the course of the night. We're going to head to the Goodyear Hotline for one of my favorite people, just just flat out. Like, it doesn't really matter what we talk about. She's always one of my favorite people. Sports Center's L. Duncan joins us. You can check out L. by the way, on ESPN Radio's NFL Draft Coverage. Round 1, Thursday, April 29th, 7 p.m. Eastern. She and Kevin DeGandhi will be right here on ESPN Radio getting you for, through the first couple of nights of the NFL Draft. going to be great to listen to them do their thing. L. thanks so much for coming on with us. I, we, we're really excited to talk to you, obviously, um, because there's a real, obviously, emotion that went through today. And you mentioned that it was tough to be on air and sort of go through mm-hmm. the verdict and react to it in that moment. Uh, kind of give me the, your sense of how you made it through that and, and what that moment meant for you. Yeah, um, well, thank you for what you said, Fitz. And you know that the adoration is mutual. I think you're great. I love Sarah. Um, so what a great show, uh, you know, to have on at a time like this between the two of you and how thoughtful you are um, when it comes to matters like this. And so for me, it's sort of it was it's it's difficult because you go back and forth between, you know, we're people. Right. And then you also have to try and be professional, as professional as possible. But these things are very triggering to black people. They're triggering for me watching his family you know, sort of celebrate, watching them run through that gamut of emotions from celebrating to, you know, anger and then to like sadness, you know, overcome with emotion and sadness, because at the end of the day, this isn't real closure. He's never coming home. And we know that it's just going to happen again and that it happened so many times after he died. And so it's difficult. You want to be in a position where you're trying to make, um, you know, uh, you're trying to deliver coverage and you're trying to contextualize and do those sorts of things. When really all you want to do is be at home with your family, hugging your little black baby, you know, um, yeah. to be honest with you, this is very hard for, it's a hard day for black people because it's like the first time most black people can remember this actually happening. Anyone ever being held accountable for something like this. And we've just grown, you know, to be so um, pessimistic that any justice will happen because we just don't have any, <laughs> we don't have representation. I mean, you know, so um I understand that it's just it's just one it's one 
trial. It's one case, but it's it's one. You know, it's a start. And I hope I think people keep saying like, you know, this was a spark. Like George Floyd was a spark, but I hope that George Floyd was more of a jackhammer, really. Right. You know, um, because systemic racism is foundational. It doesn't take a spark to undo it. It takes like really heavy equipment to get at it. And we need more. We need like, we need to take down the constructs that actually led to his death as opposed to being satisfied with getting justice once. Yeah. Super imaginative rethinking of the way that we do things and a deep understanding that what we've always thought about the way this country was built was a lie. And so many things were created with the intent to keep people marginalized. And until we address that and accept it, we will continue to make tiny cosmetic changes that will not end up resulting in a meaningful change. L. Duncan is with us here on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And, you know, of course, someone already chimed in, even though I tweeted that you were going to talk about the draft as well. Um, somebody already chimed in <laughs> with what the F does this have to do with sports? And I want to point out that we're all human beings. And I would hope when you go into your office after something like this or tomorrow in the coming days, especially as we're seeing the news out of Columbus that a 15-year-old girl was shot by police after calling the police for help, that this is not going to end because of this guilty verdict that was just a confirmation of what we all saw with our eyes. And if the people that work with you need to be talked to and understood and heard, that it doesn't really matter whether what your job is is directly related to this massive thing that's affecting all of us. And I wanted to ask you, Ellen, I know that black people are not a monolith and you do not represent all black people, but for you personally, what you would want to tell people about what you want your friends and coworkers and people that you know to do during this time to make things better for you and easier for you and to make you feel more hopeful. Yeah, I think just um, a understanding that like why understanding why this is hard for us. Right. I think that the cynic would say and I've, I see a lot of that, too. Like, you don't even know George Floyd. Like, why are you emotional? Why do all of you care so much? And, you know, no, we are not a monolith. But I think what the what the black community does particularly well is we galvanize. And sadly, lately, we have to galvanize so much, not even lately, all like for generations have to galvanize over our pain and sadness and asking for help. And the truth is, is that we're joyful people, you know, and I would want you to understand that more than anything, that the idea that we're being put in these positions, um, that we're being that we're privileged, honestly, some of us to have these positions to speak out about things that are right, about humanity, about morality, about equality. Those things are great. And we have to express our pain in many ways to get you all to understand. But please believe like we are a joyful people. We love being black. I love being black. I just want um, I want the world to appreciate me as much as I appreciate, you know, being me or at least to just leave me alone and let me live in that process. And I think that's what I'd like for people to know that we are a joyful people. But the cynicism, the skepticism, um, the anxiety, all of those things have happened over time. And you can understand why. And if you can't understand why, if you posted a black square on your Instagram page last summer and today you're saying, what the F does this have to do about sports? Or you're saying like, well, like, why are you all so cynical? Then you didn't do the work. You didn't do the work that you said you were going to do for the last year, mm-hmm. and you need to do better. I am. But it, we'll get to the draft. I know we need to get to the draft. I just have to say, like, for anybody to say it, on this network, particularly this fandom, that you don't know somebody so you shouldn't feel the pain, like, how many people stand up every Sunday and cheer for or cry about people they've never met because we're all Fitz, how many people here? just protested like, just, for the Super League? 
It's, Correct. It's just, they literally took to the streets to for a soccer league. The, the concept of, of, of having to know somebody personally to be emotionally invested in them at any level is something that every sports fan, even even the dumb dumbest of the dumb of sports fans, know that that's part of just how we're wired. I, 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 sure. I'm sorry. I, the total different band. You know, it, but it is. Like, and the well, and if it's for is, marginalized people especially, and I speak as part of a majority, which is women, we still feel like when something happens that reminds us that the world is against us and not built for us, we feel it incredibly incredibly deeply because it could easily be us in that position and it is often us in that position and so you're reminded of that every time somebody who looks like you is is i i mean i'm not going to get political here but i'm going to say when the presidency of someone incredibly qualified happened and she lost to a man that was not at all qualified i cried for hours because it reminded me that women can't make it regardless of how qualified we are and all of the things that we bring to the table. And when something like this happens, I 100% know where you're coming from. Anyway, Fitz, I interrupted you, which is something women always do because we'd be talking. Yeah. Whatever. (laughs) I'm just, I'm just saying that we could all, as the, as the white guy in this conversation, I will continue to say, ask the simple question of how can I be a better advocate for the people that are around you in your life? And if you really give a damn about that, we all make the world a better place. That's all I'm that's all I'm saying. I'm, I'm yeah, and you do it, Fitz. You reach out all the time. You ask questions. So, you know, you do the work. Like, and that's that's important to know that, you know, Fitz is one of those people that did not do, that it was not the hypocrite that I just mentioned that didn't do any work, even though they claim they would. Like, I know you've been really trying, and I think that's what it takes. Honestly, it takes people like you. And then one of you becomes a hundred of you, and, and that continues to grow, and you continue to educate people. And in many cases, you'll never educate people. But to be a good ally means to just listen and understand and to continue to do the work, understand that this is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It will take a very long time to undo a lot of these things. Uh, we're talking Fitz. to Go, go ahead, ahead Sarah. <laughs> Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Al Duncan. She is always is more eloquent and thoughtful than we are as we're stumbling over each other trying to talk to her. Uh, before we let you go, I do want you yeah. to get in a plug for the draft coverage. Super excited yeah, that you're going to be involved. It's the radio coverage round one Thursday, April 29th, 7 p.m. Eastern. Tell everyone what, what you're doing. Yeah, so me and Kevin Nagandi are hosting. Um, I'm super excited. We're going to be with Bart Scott, Mike Tannenbaum, Ian Fitzsimmons. Um, we're going to have tons of analysis coming in. Um, we were approached about doing this, and it was just a really cool opportunity because, A, you know, you guys both know I love radio. I have a whole former life in radio and in sports radio and in Atlanta, but I haven't done it in so long. And Kevin uh, does... Um, our college football and uh, he is going to be along with me sort of leading the charge, but honestly we're going to be leaning on these experts that we have. So it should be super fun, informational. Um, You're going to get everything in real time when we get it and we've got you covered. You can take us with you anywhere, but I'm just excited to be back in sort of the pomp and circumstance with radio again, right? Like it's so fun to be a part of, big things that are important and so uh yeah i'm, I'm feeling like Says really anxious because it's something that i don't do mm-hmm. often and that's yeah. fun <laughs> yeah it's fun until you're on you i'm just telling you i'm warning you l because it happens to me every year especially yeah. as a raiders fan when your team makes a, a questionable pick you are just that's the moment you wish you didn't have a microphone in front of you just remember I deep know. breath and know. no f words i know that's all. well you know i notoriously <laughs> had to watch my bulldogs lose to bama uh, you know, so oh, like in yeah. front of people. So I'm used to this and I imagine that I will not handle it with any amount of 
class or grace at all. So I've got two words no for you, Sarah, Bomani Jones. Yeah, just approach it like Bomani, where he has fully yes. removed any hopefulness or fandom from his heart and soul. Therefore, he cannot get Correct. crushed by any decisions made. Yeah, I've got Raiders hats and shirts for every day of the draft. I don't care yeah, what you guys screwed. say. You guys can check out L obviously every day on Sports Center, but also don't forget on ESPN Radio's NFL draft coverage. L, you are spectacular, and as always, we thank uh, y'all we so much. I love you both. Thank you, thank L. You. Thank you. Keep fighting the good fight, guys. That's L Duncan, and again, L and Kevin Gandhi going to be keeping it down, uh, holding down the fort with a great group of uh, experts around them and that's uh starting on thursday april 29th 7 p.m eastern for the first round of the nfl draft you won't want to miss it they'll be there the first two nights and then saturday i'll take over a little hosting action with some of those experts as well so we wow. got you covered all over the place yeah, the pop yeah. and circumstance of it all i'm, I'm telling you we're, we're going to be doing all sorts of fun stuff I, i've heard there's a uh, no pants are required in the studio on Saturday, so things are going to get weird. Oh um, I, I'm not even making that up. All right. Next up, we're going to talk about sports. I don't know. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Sarah, I feel like I should uh, at this point. It's become such a social media stir. I really haven't addressed it. I feel like I should say something at this point about the Raiders tweet. Uh, yeah. It is out there. It is pinned. Still it out is there. regrettable. Um, I, I I love being proud of the the team that I root for. And one of the things that has happened over the course of the last several years is there's been uh, transactions, there's been players that have come on board. It's become a team that more often than not, I find myself being able to tip a hat and say, hey, I'm proud to be a Raiders fan. I do not uh, have any pride for the tweet that they've put out in support of uh, the verdict today. It, I understand what they were attempting to do. Uh, they obviously didn't achieve it. The one thing I would tell everybody right now is that as we continue to, and I've done it myself, like I've gone after people on social media for pressing send on these. Uh, The only thing that I would say is that those tweets aren't always composed by by, or sent by uh, the person that has the job of pressing send. And it's not always as easy as just standing up on Twitter and saying, I didn't want to send it. I mean, there's a lot of layers that go into place here. So Right now, I look at that and I say it's regrettable by the Raiders. Absolutely. I also say for everybody that's tweeting their social media department, I know a lot of guys in that department really well, and I think we'd have to look a little deeper to see where this tweet came from. We will leave it there so we don't betray any confidences, but if you haven't seen it, it says, I can breathe for 2021, obviously in reference to relief or taking a deep breath or sighing after the verdict came down finding Derek Chauvin guilty on all counts. But unfortunately, it doesn't hit the right note. It doesn't have the compassion and the care necessary for today's events. And unfortunately, there are also those who wore shirts that said, I can breathe to mock Eric Garner, one of the previous victims of police violence. So uh, on all accounts, absolutely tone deaf. And the problem fits, I think this is speaks to a larger issue, which is what Al just talked about. If you posted a black square or if you as a company or a league tried to get yourself on the right side of what was very clearly a dramatic shift in social justice in our country post George Floyd, but you didn't accompany that with the work required to really understand the roots of systemic racism, the roots of our policing system and why people are interested in abolishing and defunding and finding other community ways to deal with issues. If you didn't do any of that work and you end up in places where even if your intentions are good, your impact is not. 
And that is why it matters so much to actually go and educate yourself. One of the things she mentioned reminded me of a quote that I've been speaking about a lot lately. And it's from I, I learned about it in Glennon Doyle's book specifically in the chapter about racism and particularly white women who believe they're doing the right thing but haven't done the work to get themselves on the right side of things. And it's a Desmond Tutu quote, something paraphrasing. We got to stop pulling people out of the water and go upstream and try to find out why they're falling in. If you simply give money to causes or speak out about things and you don't understand how your other behaviors might actually be contributing to the problem that you're then donating money to, then you're part of the problem. And it's it's okay to accept that and admit that and have an awakening later in life than most would hope for. I certainly have thought myself on the right side of many things and learned later that I needed to really dig in and understand it better. But we got to stop pulling people out of the water. The George Floyds and the Eric Garners and the 15-year-old girl that was shot in Columbus today. And stories are, are showing that she allegedly called the police herself for help because she was being threatened by someone in her home. And when they arrived and saw that she had a knife either with her or near her, they shot her four times. A 15-year-old girl. Now, clearly there's more information that needs to come out. But we got to stop reacting to these people being in the river and we got to go upstream and find out why they keep ending up there. And until we're willing to do that with real creative, imaginative approach to redoing our country's base system of policing, we're never going to get through this. And I, I can't, I keep saying this this week fits, but like my heart can't take this anymore. I I've been trying to stay away from the news because it's an endless scroll of mass shootings and police shootings and COVID related nightmares and the worst news. And we are not any more equipped than we ever have been in our history to handle all of the sadness. We just have access to it more than ever. We haven't evolved in any way. Our brains and our hearts have not evolved in any way to deal with this stuff every single day over and over again. But unfortunately, our media and our social capacity and our technology affords us the ability to see it more and more and more. And I, I just, I don't even know where to start. It feels hopeless. I think Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, part of what I continue to look at is what questions are we asking and for what reason? And that's, you know, I'm the first to admit that uh, my brain at times is wired really difficultly. Like uh, th- there's no diff- there's no doubt that I am not the easiest friend or life partner for most people because I'm that sort of person that constantly says, but why? I'm like a two-year-old child. So I understand that I constantly ask why. But one thing that has happened for me over the last year that I think has happened across sports as well over the last years, you see more people asking, but why? The question is, are you going to listen for a genuine answer and try and learn from it? Like, are we going to actually look into information and try and figure out why people feel the way they feel and try and figure out what life circumstance led to the situation that they're in? And that's what we see leagues doing at this point, teams doing when they're speaking out on things that two, three, four years ago they didn't speak out on. There is at least an attempt to gain knowledge. For me, I continue to look across the board and say, if we all want to be the best, air quotes, cheesy quote, teammate that we can be to everybody else in our lives, part of that comes from asking why and then genuinely listening to the answer. How do you step back from all of it to say, okay, if this is happening, there's got to be a cause, there's got to be a reaction, and what can we continue to do to try and bring some sort of a bridge to all of this? I, I, I don't know the answers to it, but that's the first step I think most of us are trying to do is figure out when you don't know the answers, what information can you get? And the collection of information is the collection of power through all of it. Like to me, the lack of want to know the other side of it 
is one of the things that mm-hmm. I just can't mm-hmm. wrap my head around. And, and that's for everybody. Like, just sit in a room and listen to the people across from you that see things differently or have had different life experience and ask yourself, why? And if you genuinely listen, I find that there's a lot of understanding that comes from it. I, I, I truly believe that that's one of the things that's happening right now with athletes that have realized the purpose that their microphone can have. And it's one of the best parts about sports today is that there is the opportunity to hear if you're willing to listen. Yeah, you're basically saying start with empathy, start with humanity, start by believing that the person across from you, whatever they look like, whatever their lived experiences, has a reason to be saying and feeling the things that they do. And if you try to understand that and you at least try to make a connection over why they may be hurting or scared or fearful or otherwise, then you can talk through it. And that applies to every side, but, but mostly to those who continue to deny what's now hundreds of years of experience for black people in our country. And it, it needs to change. Otherwise we're just going to keep doing this over and over. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that uh, Freddie and Fitzsimmons will continue to give you all the latest reaction as athletes and sports and leagues across the world continue to react to today's verdict. In the meantime, we appreciate you hanging out with us. This has been Spain and Fitz on ESPN radio in the ESPN app. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.